Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Have you noticed? Spring has sprung, and that means it's time to get started planting in your garden. But for many staring down the list of possibilities, the big question is what to plant. Do you plant a flower garden or try your hand at vegetables, maybe succulents? Speaking of which, how do you plan for drought? In this hour, we'll talk with three preeminent green thumbs here in the Bay Area about how to get started with whatever you have out Outside or inside, we'll talk about houseplants. Newbies are welcome. All that's next on Forum right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Some of us may have already started a victory garden to pass the time during this pandemic. Whether you're a pro gardener or a newbie, this hour is for you. What to plant, how to plant it, and what's ahead as the seasons change. Gardening is the topic, and we've got three experts here to talk about it now. Flora Grubb, co-owner of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco, Julie Chai, garden writer, editor of Discovering Dahlias, and Claudia Damiani, greenhouse manager for Valley Verde in San Jose, a community food system nonprofit. Well, I thought we might start this morning with concepts for starter gardens. Can each of you start us off with a concept? Could be flowers, veggies, succulents, foggy zone, sunny zone, however you want to work it. Flora, why don't you kick us off? Well, I would say that the first thing to start with um, is to assess your actual conditions where you're trying to garden. So that's going to be an assessment of your light conditions, and that's going to determine a lot of what you can and can't do. If you start with plants that are appropriate for the light conditions that you have, and then water them appropriately, you'll end up successful. And when you get an idea of a concept for a garden in your head that doesn't match those light conditions, you're almost sure to fail. Julie? Um, I would echo what Flora said about making sure you check your sun conditions where you live, uh, because something that is a full sun plant that wants eight hours a day, if you plant it in a spot that gets shade, it's not going to do well. So one thing I like to suggest to people is to walk around your neighborhood and see what's actually doing well where you live, because that will give you a good sense of what types of things will also thrive in your garden. What a great idea. (laughs) I've never thought of it. Maybe that's why I kill so many plants. Claudia? Hello. Yeah, I've 
definitely the light is something that we can't really um, accommodate if the sun is out, we have good light. Uh, another thing that I like to consider is how much how much time we have available for our garden. If we are if we are very busy people and we have little time, I will go with a succulent garden or a garden that uses a lot of native plants that are adapted to this area. If you have a little bit more time and we want to be more hands-on, I will go with an edible garden or a flowered one. Well, Claudia, I, I have a follow-up uh, for you on that one. But first, let me throw out the the number and the ways to contact us this hour because, really, this is about everybody's questions. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. And now that you, you're ready with your phone, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, on Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. You can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Well, so Claudia, you, you talked about, uh, uh, you know, edible foods, and you're in San Jose, so, you know, they're at the heart of the Valley of Heart's Delight, uh, a perfect place to be growing edible foods. Uh, what would you recommend for somebody who is just starting out? Well, this is a really cool part of the, the year. Uh, spring is beginning. We have a lot of varieties to choose from. So right now we can start planting tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, and like all the squashes, the winter and summer squashes. So it's really, uh, I will say we have more things to choose from <laughs> right now more than ever. So I will go with, um, if you're going to plant a garden, think about what you want to eat because there are like so many options right now. And so think about what you want to eat, what are the dishes you like to prepare, and if you have kids in home, what would be fun to plant with kids, and choose from there. Flora, you know, I, I think of your iconic uh, succulents uh, in, in the uh, in the green, it's not even a greenhouse, it's just up and out in San Francisco. It's somewhat surprising, I think, to a lot of people who are not from San Francisco, that right, despite the fog that we still experience at this time of year, that uh, succulents can be very happy in San Francisco. Yeah, succulents are a really easy way to go. There are some myths about them that they need a full bright sun condition, which isn't true for many succulents. Many succulents will sh will thrive in a shady garden and they do really well in pots. So if you're interested in growing succulents, it's a it's a really great place for beginners to start. Are, are some uh, more hardy than others, or are they just hardy as a class? Well, you know, once again, it's a matter of that light condition. So at Florida Grub Gardens, we do have um, our succulents divided up by, by the light that they require. So we have one section of the store that has succulents for low light and even for indoors. And then another section for succulents that are going to require brighter light. And if you get the if you get the right plant and put it in the right place, then they can be very easy to grow um, and many of them almost impossible to kill. Julie, I guess that leaves you with flowers. Of course, as editor of Discovering Dahlias, this isn't new territory for you. Uh, for somebody who's just beginning, who, who maybe needs options that can't be killed, what would you recommend? Uh, you know, I think every, everything does require some care, but there are definitely plants that are flowering plants that give you a lot of bloom 
that are easier than others. Right now I'm planting a lot of salvias. Um, most of those do well in full or part sun, at least where I live. And um, those tend to have blooms for much of the year here in the Bay Area. So from spring through fall, there are lots and lots of different varieties that you can try that will give you a lot of, of good flowering. Now, I know you say that, you know, gardening is not something you can just set and forget. Uh, but I've heard recently that salvias don't last longer than a few years, that, that even if you, if you plant it uh, today, you, you might end up having to plant new plants uh, in the next few years. Is that true? Uh, that's that's the case for some salvias. Like I said, there are there are literally hundreds of different varieties. Um, but for the ones that I think people think of uh, for home gardens that are sold in a lot of nurseries, you will need to replace your plants every few years. They do have a life cycle, and even though they're perennial, they still need you know periodically that they'll need to be replaced. Uh, Claudia, I, I know that Valley Verde, you know, often works with people on raised planter beds. But but let's imagine that we're talking to some people who might only have room for pots. If 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 I want to grow edibles in pots, are there some that do better than others uh, in that condition? Uh, talking from experience, I didn't have enough space last year to plant a raised, uh, raised bed garden. So I had a driveway garden. And I plant all my plants in big containers. So they were about 15 to 20 gallon containers. And one consideration you have to have is the, that you don't want to plant two, two different varieties in the same container that require the same nutrients. So if you're planting spinach next to tomato, both plants require a lot of nitrogen. So they will start competing. But if you plant flowers or basil, um, Actually, the flowers and basil can help your tomatoes to grow better. One association we like to make is marigolds because they tend to help with pest, pest control. So one recommendation would be use the biggest container you can and try to associate the plants in a way that they help each other. Rick writes, I've made a raised bed that is 10 10 inches high. I read that I should put leaves, newspaper, or weed barrier cloth under the raised bed. I'm planning to use the weed barrier cloth. First, why is this needed? Second, will this prevent roots from a large nearby tree from getting in the bed? Um, I don't think <laughs> it depends on the tree, but we had a problem last year with one of the, our home gardeners. She installed her raised bed not that close to a tree, and before the end of the season, the whole raised bed was full of, of roots. In that case, if that's where you have your raised bed, I would recommend you to go with, with containers and maybe just have flowers in your raised bed. Um, I don't know. I'm not a very big fan of the landscape fabric. I find that after a few years, you will find it everywhere. And it, it will just degradate. And so, yeah, that will be my two cents. Perfect. Well, let's head to the phones now. And Allie in Fremont. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. I had a question about uh, Tuja Green Giants. I have over two dozen of them, and they're starting to turn brown, and I'm not really sure what's wrong. I thought it was root rot, and then I thought it had to do with some fungus, but um, any advice you can give would be appreciated. Julie, want to take that on? 
You know, I mean, I think it really depends on a lot of other factors that are happening in your garden. So it's kind of hard to diagnose that sort of thing over the phone. Um, you know, I don't know what's happening with your soil or the surrounding area. So that's something I might go to your county master gardeners for. And tell us more about county master gardeners. Who are they? Where do we find them? So the Master Gardeners are an, a program through the University of California. They're part of the extension program. And counties all over the Bay Area have their own extension office. Um, and you can call, most of them have a hotline. So you can call them with questions or email them with questions. And they'll, they have a better sense of, hap- of what's happening really locally where you are. Thank you so much for that question, Ali. Let's go now to Leslie in Bolinas. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Hi, Leslie. Hi. Hi. I have two questions. I'll make them quick. Um, One is we grow dahlias. They are beautiful. Do they need to be um, uh, dug up every year and transplanted? Um, They're very difficult to tell which end is up and how to plant them. And even though we're successful, we feel it's a hit and miss. And the other question is we grow fantastic tomatoes. Even though we feed them rigorously and water them correctly, they are tasteless. And I've asked master gardeners about why they have no flavor other than the cherry golds and the little ones. And no one can answer this question, even though they're beautiful tomatoes. They just don't have flavor. Well, thank uh, you. Uh, thank, thank you for those questions. And, uh, you know, we're about to come up on a, a break here. So I'm just going to very quickly remind people that we are taking your questions and providing answers when we can all about gardening, indoors, outdoors, however you're managing to do it. Give us a call with your questions at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to us at forum at kqed.org. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, and we're talking to Leslie in Bolinas about two questions. Do dahlia bulbs need to be removed every year? And how does she get her tomatoes to be flavorful? Uh, Julie, you want to take on that dahlia question? Sure, Leslie. So that's whether or not to dig up your tubers is a point of debate among a lot of growers. Some people leave them in the ground here. And really your main concern is whether or not they'll freeze and, and they likely won't where you are. Um, but if you wanna dig them up every year and, and save them, a lot of times what happens is um, they will rot in storage. So when you, if you decide to dig them up, you wanna make sure you store them in some sort of material that is gonna keep them kind of drier. And another method that, that 
is a little bit, you know, it's controversial because it's a little bit wasteful is to wrap individual tubers in saran wrap and keep them in storage that way. Um, so I know most professional growers do dig them up and divide them before planting the following spring. Well, Claudia, uh, do you want to tackle the tomato aspect of Leslie's concerns? How to get flavorful tomatoes? I've had this problem as well. Okay, I have a couple of ideas. I hope they you guys find it find them useful. The first one is many tomato growers are selecting their tomato varieties for different reasons. Uh, the variety could be good because it has a long shelf life or just because it looks pretty, but it doesn't mean that those varieties will taste good. So my first recommendation to be would be to try a different variety. Um, I have found that using heirloom tomatoes is really is really a good strategy. Heirloom tomatoes are varieties that have been kept as a as, uh, because of the flavor mainly, and there are lots of them available. And one that I like a lot is the purple Cherokee or the brandy, the yellow brandy wine. So those are big tomatoes that are great for salad. The other strategy I would use to maximize the flavor in the tomatoes is to cut the watering a week before harvesting. And the trick is by cutting the watering, you are going to have a higher concentration of sugar in comparison with water. So maybe even if you're planting a variety of tomato that is not very famous for the taste, uh, if you start cutting the water supply a week before harvesting, the concentration of sugar will make the tomato taste a little bit better. Perfect. Well, we've got a, a couple of comments now I want to read. Uh, the first one is really more of a comment than a question. Bobby writes, love this topic as an avid gardener. Can your guests please discuss the benefits of growing native and heirloom seed varieties in our specified zones, the reward of seeding and growing ancient varieties of some of our favorite foods and flowers is a special rewarding feeling. And then Keith tweets, how much have zones changed since it was published due to climate change? Flora, do you want to take that on? Yeah, we are seeing some um, changes in what we're able to grow. And mostly in San Francisco, um, it's meaning an expansion in the, in the direction of warmth. There are um, neighborhoods that used to be constantly blanketed in fog that aren't anymore. And just a general um, warming trend, which, you know, it, it's sad to say is 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 actually a pleasure for a lot of gardeners to see that extra warmth. So while none of us um, welcome the changing of our climate, um, it, it is one of the few one of the few upsides that we are we've seen a slight expansion in the direction of being able to grow some things that had been previously um, you might get a couple of years and then uh, things would die of of this of the coolness and the fogginess in the city. You know, I, I don't want to give short shrift to the question of native plants. So let's go now to the phones in Sakna in Vallejo. Hello. Hi. Hi, Sakna. Hi. Um, I'm a member of California Native Plant Society, and I just wanted to ask people to promote native plants. Not only are they easy to care for, but we're losing insects at a dangerous rate, and plus... Not only do they help insects, but they attract beautiful butterflies and hummingbirds to our yards and nourish the local ecosystem. 
Beautifully put. I, you know, I don't hear a question in that. It just seems like a definite positive. Julie, any, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think there are a lot of native plants that are really beautiful in the landscape. And I think um, when you're growing those, and, and Sakna can probably weigh in a little bit on this, um, you just want to make sure you're combining them, if you're combining them with plants that are non-native, that you make sure you're giving the right the right water to each one because the native plants, some of them have different water needs than the other plants that you'll have in your landscape. And so to combine them takes just a little bit more homework on your part. Let's take another call now. Robin in Emeryville. Yes, thank you for being here. Um, I'm new at this. And my concern is I don't know how to uh, select good soil. How do I get good soil for my, um, for my, uh, I have a rose bush and it's turning brown. And the other is I growing uh, collards, uh, different greens, and just overnight um, I'm having problem with uh, infestation, like bugs eating it. Um, those are my two questions. Thank you for being here, and, um, and I will listen for the answer. Terrific, Claudia. You want you want to tackle cl- uh, collards uh, to start? Uh, so the question was about soil, right? Uh, yes, soil, and uh, she keeps getting bug infestations in her collards. Hmm. Okay, let's start with soil. So what I'd like to recommend is for the soil to always have a, a healthy mix of soil and compost. And the compost will add to your soil a lot of good micro, microbes that you want them. And you're pretty much like generating a whole ecosystem. So the soil will help your plants thrive. So one way you can do it is if you're starting a brand new garden is to use two parts of soil and one part of compost. And after every season, you will add some compost to replenish it. And so you can compost in home, which is very easy. Uh, But if you don't have the space, uh, I know a lot of people live in apartments Vermicomposting uh, could be an option. Vermicomposting is just the same composting, but using worms. So you have a container and you put all your food scraps and the worms will do all the work for you. They will eat the bacteria growing on the food scraps and give you like beautiful worm uh, castings that you can put in your garden. And so about the, the infestation, I will just go ahead and contact master gardeners as well, because it depends on what are the, what is the insect that is attacking your plants. Uh, in some cases, it's more like a preventing thing that you should uh, think about doing. Uh, for example, every time we plant, it, we plant cabbages or broccoli, we have this white butterfly around our garden and the butterfly leaves tiny little eggs underneath the leaves and then we have cabbage worms everywhere devouring our brassicas. So one thing that we can do to prevent that is to cover our all our plants once we start seeing those white butterflies. So it, but that wouldn't work with aphids. So it depends a lot of what is the infestation you're having. And I would recommend to just reach out to master gardeners, send them a picture of what you are seeing in your garden, and they will help you with that. Victoria writes, can you recommend an appropriate pomegranate tree for the Berkeley area? Flora, is this one you can take on? 
Yeah, pomegranates uh, tend to thrive in um, in nurseries, and if you were uh, in the Bay Area Gardens, and if you were to pop over to a really good local nursery, such as East Bay Nursery, they would have appropriate varieties for uh, for Berkeley Gardens. Gorgeous. Uh, well, let's see if we've got something here we can answer quickly just before uh, the next break. Grace writes, where is the best place to grow a snake plant and how to care for it? Mine doesn't seem to like my bright, warm living room. Any thoughts there, Flora? Yeah, snake plants are known for their tolerance of, of rather dark conditions and um, of going quite dry between waterings. So in general, it isn't going to want to grow directly in a sunbeam, directly in, in your window. So try moving it away from the window and then lighten up on the water for sure. It can go all the way dry between waterings. Well, we're talking about gardening in the Bay Area with three green thumbs who are at the ready to answer your questions. Flora Grubb, co-owner of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco. Julie Chai, garden writer, editor of Discovering Dahlias. Claudia Damiani, greenhouse manager of uh, at Valley Verde in San Jose, a community food system nonprofit. Uh, we've got the phone lines lighting up, but there might be a chance yours can get in there still in the next half hour. So give us a call at 866-733-6786 or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Uh, why don't we take another call now, Urine in Emeryville? Uh, is this me? Yes. Okay, I'm not in Louisville. I'm in San Francisco. Um, my question is about cuttings. Uh, my uh, girlfriend's anyway, relative gave me a piece of an orchid and I planted it and it grew. It looked like he had just like hacked it off with a hatchet and it worked. It's blooming. It's fine. Can you do that with just about anything? Like you see, you walk around the city and you see a plant you like or a tree and you just snip a piece off and stick it in a pot and water it. Is that going to work? Julie? Uh, the short answer is no, it won't work for everything. Um, different different plants respond differently to being to having cuttings taken from them, and a lot will. Like I've had success just experimenting in my own garden with some plants that'll you can just cut and they'll root, um, but others need to be dipped in rooting hormones. Some need special care, being you know tented in a really kind of warm environment. Um, so if there's a plant that you really like and you want to try, just research it a little bit and find out. Um, what, what kind of conditions it would need to be propagated that way. Aiden writes, I live in the Sunset District of San Francisco, and the soil is very sandy. Can I plant edible plant varieties in the sandy soil, or should I use raised beds? Flora? You can actually have quite a bit of success gardening in the, in the sunset, in the sandy soil, and you can amend with compost to grow edibles. And that sandy soil um, can actually provide a pretty good environment for many edibles. But you're, you're more contending with cool and fog in your neighborhood, and you're going to want to make sure that you get um, varieties that are going to thrive in the cool and fog. And we we do see a lot of people, you know, who get excited about growing edibles want to start with tomatoes and basil, but those can be really tricky to get um, to thrive in the foggy conditions and to get to be flavorful in the foggy conditions. So um, look for varieties that are well situated for the fog, to, and then the soil shouldn't be too big of a hurdle. 
Amy writes, I have had a raised vegetable garden slash flower bed for 20 years. I plant tomatoes, other vegetables, and herbs in it every year. How often do I need to fully replace the soil, if at all? Or is it sufficient to just keep adding compost and new soil each year? Claudia. I would say that it's better just to add compost. Unless you had like a very bad disease in your tomatoes that you know that the disease will remain in the soil, I wouldn't consider changing the soil. And even in that situation, it would be just a matter of changing crops. Like if I plant tomatoes and I had problems with my tomatoes this year and I can plant something else in that spot, something that is not tomatoes to let the soil rest, I would do so and just put my tomatoes in a container uh, by the side. But yeah, you don't need to replace all the soil. Just adding compost at the end of each growing season is, is enough. Well, speaking of composting, let's go to Amy in Santa Rosa. Hi. Um, two things. First, I really want to say put in a plug for growing broccoli. Um, I've been surprised at how great it tastes when it's really fresh almost as much of uh, a priority as tomatoes. And my compost question is, I compost uh, kitchen waste in a compost bin, but I can never figure out how to harvest it because I'm always adding, and so it's never completely broken down. Interesting. Claudia, any thoughts on that? That is interesting. Um, For composting, um, usually when I do like on a small scale, I will go with composting, and the way I will harvest is to get the compost at the bottom of the of the container and when I'm composting in a pile for like a bigger scale what I will try to do is to go with a high volume like three feet by three feet by three feet so I can I can have enough compost because at the beginning of the season you have this big pile but at the end when the compost is ready it will shrink to one-third of the volume. Scott writes, I have a nice patch of ground and good sun. Last year, my sunflowers thrived. Can I mix corn plants with sunflowers? Julie? Uh, you want to give everything enough space. You, you can mix, you know, pretty much whatever plants that you want, but you want to make sure that you have enough space for the corn to grow and for the sunflowers to grow, because depending on what types are growing, you know, the corn can get pretty big and some sunflowers can get quite big as well. Um, So just make sure you follow the spacing requirements that are listed on your seed packets. Lynn writes. Also in general, to get good flavor on that corn, you're going to need to be out of the fog. So if you're in the, in a foggy zone, you probably, you may get some corn, but you won't be very happy with how it tastes. (laughs) I can imagine that. Uh, Lynn writes, I live in a condo with no private outdoor space, but during the pandemic, I've started growing houseplants. I've had success with Sansevieria, I'm probably saying that uh, wrong, and orchids. Do you have other recommendations for new gardeners, especially plants that bloom? Flora, I want to take that on. Sure. On our website on Florigo Gardens, we have a section that's about growing houseplants that could uh, provide some inspiration. But again, mostly it's a matter of figuring out exactly how much light you're providing for those plants. And unless you have a really bright indoor condition, there aren't very many plants that will provide flowers indoors besides starting with an orchid that's already budded or blooming. But there are so many beautiful foliage plants that you can grow in every 
very light condition inside. Um, mostly right now, we're finding that everybody's getting excited about houseplants and there's not a ton out there. So it's best to go to the nursery in discovery mode and see what's available and then make sure you get something that wants the amount of light that you're providing. Well, I think we have just enough time before the next break to talk to Melissa in El Cerrito. Um, hi, my is Melissa, and I just wanted to make a comment about looking around the neighborhood to see what's doing well. Um, a lot of the plants that might be around the neighborhood are exotics or invasives, and just to be really careful about what you're choosing for your garden because it escapes to the wild very easily from birds or um, the wind, and, you know, we have a lot of problems invading our forests with invasive plants. Uh, Julie, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I hadn't um, I hadn't heard of that happening, so I appreciate Melissa bringing that up. I, that's something you could note. <laughs> well, also, most reputable nurseries won't sell invasive plants. So you will see like pompous grass or Spanish brooms, which are all beautiful invasive plants that are causing a lot of destruction to the environment that did at one time escape from gardens, but almost no reputable nursery will sell those plants. It's a good point that, yeah, uh, our understanding of what's happening in the gardenscape has has shifted over the years. We're, we're talking about gardening in the Bay Area with three green thumbs who are at the ready to answer your questions. Flora Grubb, co-owner of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco. Julie Chai, garden writer and editor of Discovering Dahlias. And Claudia Damiani, greenhouse manager for Valley Verde in San Jose, a community food system nonprofit. Whether you heading down to your neighborhood garden center or scrolling through seed packets online. We've got all kinds of questions and answers for you uh, this hour. So give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, and we're talking about gardening in the Bay Area. We were just having a conversation about invasive plants, and we've also been talking about native plants. And so I think it's a good moment to uh, talk about Connie's comment. I'm always battling weeds in my garden, which go crazy after seasonal rains. I'm interested in keeping my garden healthy for soil and critter health, so I don't want to use poisons or plastic. We hand pull weeds, but if if we don't get to it early, it's super tall and a major project. Any other suggestions? Claudia? Well, I would suggest to maximize the use of the space. If you put other plants in the same space, the weeds won't have as much of an uh, opportunity to colonize that area. So try not to leave areas of your garden exposed uh, to new seeds. That would be my recommendation. 
Barbara writes, "Something is eating every new leaf, bud, or tender new branch on my four-year-old lemon tree. I'm thinking maybe insects. Spraying with soapy water, and last year tried a recommended oil spray to no avail. Help, Flora." Well, it could be insects, um, but, and we're often sad to tell people, or a little disgusted to tell people that it could also be rats, which I know is <sighs> such an unpleasant thought. But um, in if you're if you're you know you could try uh, netting it in some way to see if it's um, if it's a small critter like that, then then uh, netting it or covering surrounding it with some kind of um, little. Uh, chicken wire or something may protect it until it can get its head up above the level of uh, critters. Brian writes, can your guest talk about the challenges and techniques of direct seeding vegetables? I know most people plant vegetable starts, but crops like lettuce, arugula, carrots, beets, and other roots and shoots need to be sown directly into the soil. How do I ensure maximum germination rates and minimize losses? Any thoughts on that, Claudia? Well, I would say uh, one of the first mistakes is to plant the seeds too deeply. So check in the seed package what is the, the depth at which you have to plant those seeds. If you have a tiny lettuce seed and you're planting it too deep, chances are it will germinate, but it will run out of energy before it reaches the surface. So I would do that. The second one is watch how you are watering. It could be that you are seeding at the right depth, but you are watering with a hose with too much water pressure and you are actually pushing the seeds away. So I will check those two things. And the other, the last one would be just to be prepared to reseed. So if you're planting lettuce or arugula and after a week you don't see germination, just go ahead and plant again. And in the in the best case, you both runs will germinate and you will have a higher yield. Julie, why don't you take this one? A listener writes, I have successfully grafted some orange citrus, but the grafted buds don't seem to want to sprout. How can I get them to sprout? Um, it, sometimes it depends on your graft. So a lot of citrus is grafted onto rootstock. And um, if you took a piece of the plant that was actually part of the rootstock, you may not be getting the type of fruit that you're actually planning to get. So, um, you know, you can sometimes see at the base of citrus where it's been grafted. And you, if you're taking a part of, of the citrus above it, that should that should be the, the one that you're trying to grow. Um, it's a little bit hard hard to understand exactly what's, what's happening with that particular graft. And I'm wondering, I don't want to, leave this reader hanging. So I'm wondering if someone else wants to add to that. Flora, any thoughts? I mean, I my only two cents would be to wait for a little bit more warmth, which is uh, coming our way here pretty soon, but it's not my area of expertise. Well, let's keep going. Uh, we've got Ralph in Napa talking about tomatoes. Well, at Good morning. Vegetables in general, I guess, is uh, when is it too early to plant? It's, it's still getting down to mid to upper 30s overnight in Napa. So I, I don't know if you if you heard that, when Flora. Uh, Ralph was just saying his line is cutting in and out a, a little bit, that it's still getting quite cold up in Napa, and uh, overnight anyways. And so he's worried about whether it's too early at this point to plant edibles. 
I defer to Claudia on this one, since my expertise is gardening here in the fog, where our, we're, we are really not in a, a hard frost zone like they are in Napa and San Jose. Good point. Claudia? So I will say if you are sitting indoors, this is the right time to do it. You're going to start your tomatoes and peppers in, indoors, and but you don't want to take them out until the last chance of frost has gone by. So here... In, in San Jose is usually March 15, so I wouldn't be planting my tomatoes before that. But you can check with, again with master gardeners in your county and see when that day would be. Emily writes, I'm wondering if your guests have advice for wind protection. We would like to use our deck space for some veggies and flowers, but we're concerned that the wind might impede them. When should you look to protect plants from the wind? And this is interesting because we don't we don't know where exactly Emily is riding from, and therefore we don't know exactly what kind of wind she's facing. Well, when we're talking about windy decks, I'm going to guess she's a San Franciscan. And that is a, a, a challenge that we hear about every day in the nursery. Um, and we've assembled a collection of plants that will get beautiful flowers even on a windy deck. But it's not just any old plant for sure. You'll want to more than trying to grow a plant that will need to be protected, you're going to want to try to find a plant that will be happy in that windy condition. And there are many beautiful plants that you can grow in the wind. Let's go to the phones again. Phil in San Francisco. Hi. Yeah, I live uh, in the sunset. And a friend of mine gave me four pots of orchids, two to three orchids come out a year. And he told me once they start busting out of the containers uh, plastic containers, uh, you have to split them and put them in another container. So I went to the garden supply near my house. I live 20 blocks from the beach. And he told me they like sandy soil, just plant it in the ground, put orchid bark in it and around it. And boy, did it spread. I'm looking at it now. I got 19 orchids out of one plant and it spread. I had to take other plants just to make room for this uh, plants to spread out. It, it was true. They like sandy soil. But I did split a lot of the pots, and I get two to three, you know, uh, flowers every every year. But I, I couldn't believe how much it spread out. Wow. So, uh, Flora, I guess we're hearing from Phil that, yeah, uh, orchids can be perfectly happy in, in sandy soil. There are some um, beautiful outdoor growing orchids that are happy in sandy soil and in the fog and wind. Um, you know, uh, there are thousands of different orchids, and absolutely not all of them will grow outdoors, but some of them will thrive. Uh, Claudia, here's a question from you for you. Rosa writes, I live in a hot part of Sonoma County, but my planting beds are not in full sun. Can I get away with planting tomatoes and basil and other plants that love full direct sun? That is a tricky one. Um I wouldn't recommend that. There are other plants that will do well with partial light. Uh, I will go with that and try to have containers in an area with full sun. Uh, Yeah, a reminder that you just have to be realistic about where you are and what's possible exactly where you are. Uh, Let's talk to Athena in Pacifica. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to ask you guys a question regarding, like, heavy metals and pollutants in the soil, particularly from the recent wildfires. And if you guys knew where was a good place to go and take your soil to get tested. 
Ooh, that's an interesting one. Julie, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I use, I've done soil, soil tests through the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and they, you, you send it in. Um, I don't know of any local sources where you can take your soil. Maybe, you know, I'd love to hear the other's responses too, just, you know, to inform everybody because um, the ones I've known and used have been mail order kind of uh, companies, but they've been really, really helpful. A any thoughts, Claudia or Flora? I was trying to contact Cooperative Extension in your county. I like. I think in the past we had that problem, and there was a county nearby that were, and they were testing the soil, but it varies. Yeah, no, it, it's an interesting question. It makes you wonder how how concerned should we be about uh, wildfire pollutants in our soil, especially now that wildfire season is is lasting so much longer than it has in the past. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a topic I don't think any of us fully understand, and especially because when we think about it, of course, whatever our local soils have been subjected to, all of our local farms have been subjected to as well. So this is um, probably a a much uh, more complicated issue than than I could address. Well, let's take a question now uh, that you know <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Thomas is asking. Can we put dog waste in compost bins? Claudia? Please don't do that. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. Um, if you had a vegetarian or a vegan pet, like a rabbit or a guinea pig, go for it. But you can't put dog waste or cat waste in your compost pile. You will likely, you will contaminate it. It's not a compost pile you will want to be close to turning it and watering it. So if it's not going to be pleasant for you to work on your compost pile, it's not going to be pleasant for you to spread the compost on the garden. So no, it's not a good idea. Yep. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, Whitney writes, I live in Potrero Hill and have lots of sun. I'd like to support butterflies, but also want to stick to native plants. What are the best native flowers that attract butterflies, but are also hardy enough to withstand two dogs? We're on a dog theme here. Flora? Well, right now you'll see the ceanothus starting to go into bloom all over the Bay Area, mostly with the blue flowers and all different shades of blue and purple and sometimes white or pink. And the ceanothus will start blooming now and you'll see it blooming for months. And it's such a wonderful choice. You'll When you have a ceanothus in your garden, you will see that there are so many of the native bugs attracted to it all the time. And then, of course, that brings in the birds as well. And for dogs, you can can get a larger variety so that it gets up over the head of the dog, hopefully, um, or, or try gardening in pots to get it up off of the ground to keep it away from the dogs. Let's talk dahlias now with Ronnie in Santa Rosa. Hi, thanks for taking my call. So, can you hear me? Yes, we can. What's your question? My question is... Um, I am a failed dahlia gardener. I, it's my favorite flower, and I have had no luck. Last year, I bought three plants at the dahlia farm in Petaluma. Beautiful plants. They told me to, to plant them in pots. I planted as they, um, as they instructed. They, um, they grew to about 12 inches tall. They branched. No flowers. 
Um, I've tried tubers, no luck. What am I doing wrong? Julie? Um, The first thing I would say is, you know, where you are, I think it gets pretty hot. And while in a lot of areas, dahlias are full sun plants, you might want to try a part sun location. So a place that gets morning sun, maybe, you know, until midday or something and see how they do in that spot. Um, I'm also wondering how much you amended your soil. They really do like lighter, you know, looser soil. So make sure you're amending the soil if you're planting your tubers in the ground. And then they do, you know, what I found, I live in a little bit of a hotter area as well. They like more water than most everything else I'm growing. So you might need to adjust your irrigation to make sure they're getting the water that they need. Thank you so much for that question, Ronnie. Uh, let's talk about drought now. We mentioned wildfires earlier. You know, we, we're also in a region of the world that experiences drought on the regular. And I'm, I, I would love to hear from all three of you about ideas for drought tolerant, um, not just uh, flowers and plants, but but also edibles. Uh, Claudia? I honestly don't have many, many ideas of plants that don't require a lot of water. What we do around around the drought is to install irrigation system to be sure that we're not overwatering our, our gardens and that we're being mindful about the situation. But yeah, most of the plants we are currently working with are, are not something that I would describe as drought tolerant plants. Julie? Um, I really think it's all of our responsibility in the Bay Area to grow only or mainly drought tolerant plants because we live in an area that is, you know, we, we are a drought kind of climate. So, it's, you know, most of our summers are very, very dry. So I think when you're planting a new garden or planting anything new, lean towards plants that don't require a lot of water once they're established. And I, I really want to give a plug for independent nurseries like Florida Gardens because the staff there really knows plants. That's all they do. They're focused on home gardening and they can really, you know, answer questions about your specific area. And so if you're looking for drought tolerant plants, you know, make sure you're shopping in the area of the nursery that is specific, you know, specifically for that. Flora, any, any last thoughts there? Yeah. You know, I want to call out that drought is a bit of a misnomer. What we really have is a summer dry climate. So even when we're not in a drought, we can expect to see very minimal rainfall for months at a time. And so appropriate plants for our gardens are plants that come from other summer dry, winter wet climates like Australia, South Africa, New Zealand. And so we specialize in selling plants that um, are from those kinds of climates. And so they're going to thrive in our summer dry climates. And there are plants to suit just about every purpose that um, are from a summer dry climate like ours. If you want flowers to pick or a screen to create privacy or ground covers, you can have all of those things from plants that need no, or once are, they're established, need very minimal water in the summertime. Well, I think we have time for at least one more call. Paul in San Francisco. Hi there. Yeah, I just want to talk about native plants and the, we have a footprint on, on the planet and we can invite true nature into it. 
and uh, have butterflies and hummingbirds and, and really have an impact. Wonderful. I, you know, I, I think it's a statement, as I've said before, that stands on its own. Native is, is an awesome choice. Flora, here's a question. Um, you know, it, it, is it harder to make the choice uh, to go exclusively Native in San Francisco than other parts of the Bay Area? Um, I think with a lot of commitment, you can go exclusively Native. I, I And I know that a lot of people draw a lot of pleasure from that direction. It's, it's not my experience that one needs to go exclusively Native in order to provide those ecological services in your garden. I think a combination of Native plants and exotic plants can um, attract all of the bugs and birds that you want to see in your garden, and then also um, just experience the real pleasures of plants from all over the world that are uh, able to grow here in our climate and that are appropriate for our climate and um, that provide all kinds of other things that our native plants don't offer. Like, Like if you want to pick flowers and take them indoors, there are very few Nope, it sounds like we're starting to lose you, Flora, but but we've got the gist. I want to thank you and everyone else on this panel for a terrific conversation about gardening in the Bay Area. Once again, we have been talking with Flora Grubb, co-owner of Flora Grubb Gardens in San Francisco, Julie Chai, garden writer, editor of Discovering Dahlias, and Claudia Damiani, greenhouse manager for Valley Verde in San Jose. It has been such a pleasure. Keep the conversation going online at KQ org slash forum. Thank you for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.